Hello, my name is Dwayne Spearman, and I am the founder of Directional Ministries located here in Lynchburg, Virginia. This is a teaching ministry that is called to encourage, disciple, and challenge the people of God. Let's go and open up our Bibles today to Matthew chapter number 11. Matthew chapter number 11. And last time we were together, we got down to verse number 11, but let's go ahead and read it for context. Now it came to pass when Jesus finished commanding his 12 disciples that he departed from there to teach and to preach in their cities. And when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to him, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? And Jesus answered and said to him, Go and tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And, and blessed is he who is not offended because of me. And as they departed, Jesus began to say to the multitudes concerning John, What did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? Indeed, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I say to you, and more than a prophet. For this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. So that's how far we got last time that we were together. And verse number 11, Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist, but he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. So he says, what did you go out to see? You went out to hear a prophet of God. And Jesus goes on to say that he was more than just a prophet. He was, quote, the messenger that was foretold at the very close of the Old Testament scriptures. In Malachi chapter 3, verse number 1, where it says, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of host. Understand, John the Baptist was the was to be, should have been, the fulfillment of that verse. Behold, I send my messenger. And what's he going to do? He's going to prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek. You remember, John the Baptist praying, came preaching the kingdom of heaven in the wilderness. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. On Palm Sunday, Jesus came down off of the Mount of Olivet. He came through the eastern temple riding a donkey. Where did he go? He went to the temple. And the messenger of the covenant, whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord. You know, I find it interesting that this verse is quoted of John the Baptist at least three times in the New Testament, but never is the second part of that verse quoted. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple and the messenger of the covenant whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord. Why? Because they were not seeking the Lord. They rejected him. So he could not, quote, come into his temple. Now he went to his temple, but what did he find when he got there? He had, they had turned it into a den of thieves. And he ended up pitching tables and running them out. He was unable to go in and fulfill the Davidic covenant and set himself up as king in Jerusalem because he had been rejected. John the Baptist could have ushered in the kingdom of heaven had they responded 
appropriately and fulfilling Malachi chapter 3, verse number 1 to a T. Instead, they killed the messenger and the king. Now, final thought. I'm amazed to see that Jesus said all these great things about John just after John had doubted him. You know, 2 Timothy 2.11, it is a faithful saying, For if we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. If we suffer, we shall reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we bleed not, like John did, yet he abideth faithful, because he cannot deny himself. As a matter of fact, Jesus went on to say of John, He who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Why is the least in the kingdom of heaven greater than John the Baptist? He will be greater because he will know that he knows, unlike John, who doubted that the Lord Jesus is indeed the Messiah and there is no need to look for another. There will be no doubts as to who Jesus is because he will be ruling right before their eyes. Unfortunately, John did not get to see that. And then notice verse number 12. And from the days of John the Baptist until the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force. Now, this could be a, a controversial verse. <clears throat> what exactly does it mean? Well, it could mean that the kingdom of heaven is being attacked by violent men. I mean, think about it. They were going to kill John the Baptist. They had already killed thousands of babies at the command of Herod in an attempt to kill our Lord. Eventually, they were able to kill our Lord and his apostles and his followers for centuries to come. So it could be that this verse is speaking of the violence that would abound as the kingdom emerged. Or it could mean that the kingdom of heaven can only be taken by those who aggressively, enthusiastically press in to lay hold of it. I don't have a problem with either one of these meanings. I think they're both sort of appropriate. I think I would lean toward the first one. Uh, if anything, I think that would be the more accurate one. Um, and then notice verse number 13. And again, the reason I say that, just back up just a little bit, is, I mean, Jesus, John the Baptist, the apostles, the disciples in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, most of Acts, were preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and they were all, for the most part, killed. John the, John the Apostle, was there was an attempt to kill him, but he survived. But all the other apostles were killed, and thus the kingdom of heaven was rejected. So I, I tend to lean toward the first one. And, of course, we know that one day the Lord is going to return, and he is indeed going to establish uh, the kingdom of heaven on earth. Now, notice verse number 13. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. Now, this verse is telling us that John marked the end of the Old Testament. Luke 16, 16. The law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God is preached, and every man presseth into it. So the Old Testament did not end with the book of Malachi. It ended with John the Baptist. It's just like the New Testament. The New Testament did not begin with Matthew. The New Testament began with the death of Christ, the testator, as Hebrews tells us. That's when the New Covenant was confirmed and the New Testament began. So 
Just because our Old Testament ends in Malachi and our New Testament begins in Matthew, that's not totally correct. That's just the way we divide our scriptures. And then notice in verse 14, And if ye will receive it, this is Elijah, which is to come. He who has an ear, let him hear. Now, again, if they had accepted, if ye will receive it, this is Elijah, which was to come. If they had accepted John's preaching of the kingdom of heaven, the Lord Jesus would have been able to have fulfilled the prophecies concerning the necessity of Elijah to come before the Lord sets up his throne in the earth. John's mission, according to Malachi chapter 3, verse number 1, was to minister in the capacity of of Elijah as the transitional figure that would take the Jews from the Old Testament to their Messiah. In Luke 1.17, he will also go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah. To do what? Turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just and to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. You remember John the Baptist and uh, Matthew chapter 17, verse number 10, the, the disciples are talking to Jesus and they said, why then do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? Jesus answered and said to them, indeed, Elijah is coming first and will restore all things. But I say to you that Elijah has come already and they did not know him, but did to him whatever they wished. Likewise, excuse me, the son of man is also about to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he spoke to them of John the Baptist. But understand, since they did not accept the witness of John, Elijah will come one day. Guess what? He will come in the book of the Revelation. And guess what they'll do to him? Exactly what they did to John. They're going to try. They're going to kill him. Isn't that interesting? What a wicked lot man is. What a wicked lot man is. I mean, when you get over into Revelation, when John, when Elijah does come, um, and again, preaching the kingdom of heaven, we see in Revelation chapter 1, then when a reed was given like a measuring rod, and the angel stood saying, Rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and those who worship there. Believe out the court that's been given to the Gentiles. Verse number 3, And I will give power to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. Three and a half years. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands standing before the God of the earth. And if anyone wants to harm them, fire will proceed from their mouth, devour their enemies, and if anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this manner. And these will have power. Now, one of these is Elijah. I believe the other one to be Moses. And if you study uh, Revelation chapter number 11, you'll see that the the miracles that are attributed to these two witnesses are the same miracles that Moses and Elijah did in the in the Old Testament. And then there, it goes even deeper than that. If you look at the deaths of Moses and Elijah, there was mystery around them. Elijah was taken up. Uh, Moses, the Lord took care of his body. Matter of fact, the devil wanted it. So um, I believe, and if you look in the New Testament, the Gospels, who was on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus? Moses and Elijah. And again, he wanted to bring in the kingdom of heaven. He wanted to fulfill the verses of Malachi 
but he could not. So here in Revelation chapter number 11, it's being revealed, being fulfilled. In verse number 7, And when they finish their testimony, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit will make war against them, overcome them, and kill them. And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city, Jerusalem, which is spiritually called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. Listen to this. And then those from the people, tribes, tongues, and nations will see their dead bodies three and a half days and will not allow their dead bodies to be put into graves. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them. They will make merry. They will send gifts to one another because these two prophets tormented those who dwell on the earth. And again, that's why they killed John the Baptist. He came. Uh, he, he told it like it is. He told Herod, you shouldn't have married that woman. And he got killed for it. He lost his head for it. He told the religious leaders, who warned you to flee, you brood of vipers? And they killed him for it. Same thing they're going to do in the book of Revelation. Of course, God in his omniscience knew that John would be rejected. Just like God in his omniscience knows that Elijah and Moses are going to be rejected in the book of Revelation. But you know what? It's interesting. Maybe John knew as well. Because in John chapter 1, verse number 21, they ask him, What then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He said, no. Why did Elijah say, I am not? Maybe he knew. That's speculation, of course. I'm not sure what that means. But look down in verse number 16. But where into shall I liken this generation? It is like unto children. They're sitting in the markets. They're calling to their fellows and they're saying, we have piped unto you. We, you have not danced. We have mourned unto you and you've not lamented for John. Referring to John the Baptist, he neither came eating nor drinking, and they say he has a devil. The Son of Man comes eating and drinking, and they say, Behold, a man that's gluttonous and a wine-bibber, a friend of publicans and sinners. But you know what? Wisdom is justified by her children. Jesus is simply saying that they were determined to reject him, regardless of how he came. John the Baptist came neither eating nor drinking, and they said he had a devil. The Son of Man, Jesus himself, came eating and drinking, and they say, Behold, a glutton and a wine-bibber. He is saying that they were looking for any excuse to reject him. Just like today, they're looking for any excuse to reject our Lord. You never hear on the news of some faithful church servant that went to their grave forever serving faithfully the Lord. But instead, the only thing that makes the news is those that mess up. And the Apostle Paul told the Jews, uh, you know, it, it literally, I mean, I think it was, yeah, it was Paul uh, who was telling the Gentiles, I believe. He said, the gospel or the kingdom is actually being blasphemed because of you. The world is looking for an excuse not to follow our Lord. It reminds me of a song written by the Kingsman Quartet, many years ago. Excuses, excuses, you hear them every day. The devil will supply them from church to stay away. When people come to know the Lord, the devil always loses, so to keep them away from the church, he offers them excuses. In the summer, it's too hot. In the winter, it's too cold. In the springtime, when the weather's just right, you find someplace else to go. 
Well, it's up to the mountains, it's down to the beach, or to visit some old friend, or to just stay home and kind of relax and hope that some of the kin folks will drop in. Well, the church benches, you know, they're too hard, and the choir sings way too loud. Boy, you know how nervous you get when you're sitting in a crowd. The doctor told you, now you better watch them crowds, they'll set you back. But you go to that old ball game because you say it helps you to relax. Well, a headache Sunday morning, a backache Sunday night. But by work time Monday morning, you're feeling quite all right. Why one of the children has a cold? Pneumonia, do you suppose? Why the whole family has to stay at home just to blow that poor kid's nose? Excuses. You hear them every day. The devil will supply them from church to stay away. Well, the preacher, he's too young. Oh, maybe he's too old. The sermons, they're not hard enough. Or maybe... They're too bold. His voice is too quiet-like. Sometimes he's too loud. He needs to have more dignity, or else he's way too proud. You know, the sermons, they're too long. Maybe they're too short. He ought to preach the word with dignity instead of stomp and snort. Well, that preacher we've got must be the world's most stuck-up man. Well, one of the ladies told me the other day that he didn't even shake her hand. Excuses, excuses. You hear them every single day. You hear them from unbelievers. And guess what? You hear them for those who claim to be believers. Let me tell you something. If your faith can't get you to church on Sunday, I doubt it'll get you to heaven someday. God bless you guys. Hope that you have a great day. Remember, God loves you. wants the best for you. He's working all things out for your good.